I felt myself, me, sitting up here watching. I felt myself resist that strap being put on the body. And I actually felt myself break that strap. I literally broke it. And then they came back with a bigger strap and used a bigger strap, like a leg strap for, for that left arm. And that's when I realized, that's when I had this aha moment that everything that I've been watching was my own death. And I had no idea, no idea whatsoever. I, I didn't understand how that could be me because me was up here. Episode 105. I love and appreciate all of my guests, but this one was the most powerful one to date. Meet Vinny Todd Tolman. Vinny was taking a workout supplement consistently. It was a hot product at the time. Him and his friend couldn't find it, so they had to buy one that was offshore. It didn't agree with either person, him nor his friend. He died, and he was watching everything from above, and he came back to life to tell the story. There's nothing else I need to say. <laughs> Let's get into it. Episode 105, Vinny Tolman. Here we go. Well, listen, man. As as you can tell the timestamp from the time that I was trying to get a hold of you, Vinny, I can't tell you how many people I told your story to. They all stopped in their tracks and couldn't believe what I was telling them. And I said, man, I'm trying to get him on. I, 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 this guy would be an amazing guest because it's actually one of the things, a subject that I've always wanted to have on the show. A friend's mom went through something similar. She was in a hospital bed, some kind of surgery. I forgot what kind of illness she had, but it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, on her deathbed or anything like that. It was just a normal type of surgery. And she said that she saw this white, bright light and a figurine like, like Jesus, and then there was a Netflix special that came out. Not sure if you saw that. And I'm like, man, I would love to have an episode about something like this. And then your story came out. And I am I am so grateful that you finally got back to me and were able to put this thing together. Um, yeah, me too. This yeah. This is cool. Yeah. Let's, let's just start with the day. I know that in that day, you took some sort of powder that you would take normally were you on a workout regimen throughout your life? Was that kind of a, a routine um, for you? I had played um, high school football and and high school rugby, and uh, so yeah, I was I was well uh, used to working out in the gyms on a regular basis. Uh, but at that time, you know, I, you know, rewind my life back to when I was twenty five, which was quite a while ago, and I was working out every day. Yeah, sometimes two times a day. Uh, I was an, essentially trying to become somewhat of a bodybuilder, not not like for a professional circuit or anything, but I was just uh, really working on my body every day. Uh, my best friend was a trainer, and uh, I had done a little bit of studying myself to be a trainer, and I, I just wanted to have the best body possible. So that day, did you run out of some product that you typically take? Is it like a pre-workout product? Or a post workout. So what it was, it was a it was a post workout, but you would actually take it pre workout. And here's how it would work: it was a uh, a healing accelerator is really what it was. It would use the natural chemicals in your own body. It would trigger your body to heal uh, in about a 24 to 48 hour period 
instead of the traditional 72 yeah, hour period. Because traditionally when your muscles heal, it takes a good two to three days for those muscles to heal. Mm-hmm. Whereas on this supplement, you could get that healing process to happen much sooner, much quicker. Mm. And, um, and it was weird. It was a relaxant. It was a, a relaxant. The effect that it had is it it would relax the, the physiology. And we were using this supplement for quite a few months uh, from the United States. They were all different suppliers. There was many different brands back then. And in fact, uh, there was different forms of this supplement. One was called this, one was called that. And they were different chemicals, but they were essentially the same supplement. And it was just a muscle recovery accelerator, but a non-steroid. So there's no steroids in it. It was was working within the legal guidelines at the time. And this was in 2003. We kept running out of it and, and we would work through it so fast we would get on a wait list at uh, you know GNC and the different uh, vitamin suppliers, and they were always sold out. Mm-hmm. We were on a six-month wait list for some when my buddy found some on, uh, on a website in Thailand. So we decided to order it, and it was interesting because when it came, it was still liquid, and this is a liquid supplement. So you would take one bottle cap worth, and that single bottle cap was plenty. That's all you needed. That was enough for 20, 12 to 24 hours one bottle cap, that's all you needed. The supplement came, it was liquid, just like the normal one from the United States. But what was interesting is all the writing on the bottle was in Thai, which Thailand uses a script language, not Romanized, right? So there was no way to understand what the language was. So we opened the bottle, we sniffed it, it smelled just like the American stuff. So we took off this bottle cap, we poured a full bottle cap, and we each took one. Within seconds of taking that, we both knew. We're like, we both were like, whoa, this is strong. We could both feel it instantly, right away. And we knew that wasn't normal. We'd been using this other American version for quite a while. We knew what it felt like, and it didn't feel like this. This felt much, much stronger. So we decided, hey, you know, in times past, if we got a little too much of this stuff, we would eat some food, and we would feel better. We'd feel better right away. So we decided to head down to the Dairy Queen and it was only a couple of blocks from his place. We went down there and and when we got there to the Dairy Queen, my buddy who was driving, he was already starting to pass out. So I was like shaking him, keeping him awake. I even put his car in park for him uh, because he wasn't even coherent enough to put it in park. I stumbled out of the car. I I was so dizzy. I was staggering and stumbling. I made it into the Dairy Queen and went directly to the bathroom. And it was a single-use bathroom. So out of habit, I locked that door. Right after I locked that door, I went over towards the toilet to, to relieve myself. I didn't know if I was going to throw up or if I needed to go other things. And as I was standing there, the next thing I know, it felt like the whole room started to spin. And then, bam, I felt something really hard. And I think what it was is I felt my head like slam the ground from the, from the back of my head. And uh, the next thing I know, all of a sudden, I feel this cold, weightless electricity flowing around me. And I felt like I became energy. And I felt as if there was no pain whatsoever. And, you know, doing your bodybuilding, you, you, you're in pain all the time. And all of a sudden, I was out of pain, completely out of pain. And that was the first thing that I noticed, that I was, there was no pain anymore. 
and I felt somewhat weightless, but I felt very comfortable. I felt as if this is what I was always meant to be. And I had partied and dabbled in drugs in the past before this. And I, I felt, wow, this is, this is that high, that kind of high that you you're searching for when you're, you're, you're getting into drugs and that kind of thing, but it's way better. And I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand if it was the, the supplement I had just taken or what was going on. But in front of me, there was this grayish light and, and it, it was very foggy and the fog started to clear. And as it cleared, I could actually see from above this whole restaurant of the Dairy Queen. I could see it all. It was To me, it looked like there was no ceiling on it, no roof. I could see into the dining room, into the bathrooms, both of them. I could see the kitchen. I could see the front counter. I was looking at this whole operation and I saw my buddy. I didn't, I didn't realize that after I had come in, he did end up coming stumbling in. He collapsed on the first booth and he started to vomit all over the table there. And the manager came over, saw that he called an ambulance and this ambulance came, they, they picked him up. They took him away. I watched this all happen, but that's when I started to realize I was hearing every single thought of everyone in that building. Every thought. I mean, to the random mundane thoughts of some customers over here, to the thoughts of the cook in the back, the manager, the, the under manager, like all these, um, all these people, I could hear every thought they were having. And it felt so loud and congested with noise. So I started to tune it out and somehow with just my intention, my desire, I was able to tune it out and I could focus on one person who was, who was thinking and I could focus just on their thoughts. And I was just really amazed at this. And this is a funny part of this. I had worked previously in, in a major television show. I had also worked in some, some uh, films. And I, I had the thought, this is really weird. Why would the director shoot this movie? I felt like I was watching a movie. Why would he shoot this movie from the ceiling down? It didn't make sense to me. I'd never seen a movie like that. And I, I, I kept thinking, this is interesting. Or I, couldn't, I was trying to figure out if the director was trying to take artistic spin or, or just do something weird and odd. So I'm watching all this happen and I look in that bathroom and I see a dead body. I look down and I see that that dead body is wearing clothes that look like my clothes, but it couldn't be me because me was up here and I was watching everything. So it wasn't possible that it was me. And to tell you the truth, that body didn't look like me in the face, not anymore. The neck had gone very wide, like really, really wide. And the face had gone purple, like stark purple in both sides of the cheeks. And there was like yellow blotches starting to form in the face. And it, it looked like a bad Hollywood makeup job. It didn't look real to me. It looked almost fake. So I, here I am. I'm still processing this like it's a movie. And I see this, this one customer. He kept trying to go to the bathroom. And the door kept being locked for, more, for about an hour. So he went to that manager and said, hey, I need to go to the bathroom. Can you unlock the door? The manager goes over there and knocks on the door. No answer. He unlocks the, the door and sees this dead guy. Sees a dead guy on the floor. 
he he calls over his under manager or his uh, assistant manager, which was a girl. She was like 16 or 17, really young. And he he had her call 911. And then she handed him the phone while he sat there and talked to 911. And then he directed her to go down and, and touch the body to see if there's a pulse. And when she touched around the neck area, number one, the body had vomit all over it. And I'm sure there was not a good smell. But when she touched the neck, she, she like pulled her hand back and she was like, it's cold. He feels cold. He doesn't feel warm. And at that point, um, the manager said that to the operator on the phone. And the operator said, do you know what? Don't touch the body. Secure the room. Make sure nobody goes in there. And wait for police or medical to arrive. And the next one on the scene was another ambulance, a second one. And on this crew, to me, I had a miracle with this crew because there was a rookie there. This rookie is his first week out of out of teaching and training, and he was kind of shadow shadow following these two veteran medics, and he was the third guy out. So he was sitting in the back of this ambulance. They pulled up to the scene. The two veterans go rushing in. the The rookie's kind of just you know eyeballing things, looking over everything. They asked him to go get something. I don't remember what they, they asked him to get, but he ran back and he got it. Um, they were doing chest compressions. They were trying to get the body to come back, to get some sign of life to come back. They weren't able to do it. After a few minutes of trying, they pronounced the body dead. Um, they did ask the medic to go back and get a bag. And this particular ambulance, it depends on 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 what companies are out there but some companies do carry these bags this company did they they brought out this bright yellow bag um, they unfurled it they unzipped it and they worked the body into that bag onto a gurney and then strapped it down they they did perform uh, all the paperwork to pronounce doa or dead on arrival and this is all processing. At the same time, I can hear this rookie. I can hear his thoughts. And I can hear him thinking thoughts like, why are we quitting so quickly? Why aren't we trying this? Why aren't we trying that? He, was, he kept thinking of all these protocols, all these, all these extra things they could have done that he just learned about. That why aren't they trying everything? They gave up so quick. To him, it was too quick to give up. And he was, he was really berating himself in his own mind, thinking thoughts like, why am I even becoming a medic if I can't make a difference for people like this? Um, because he was the rookie, the two veterans, they tasked him with watching the dead body in the back of the ambulance, just kind of babysitting it. And he sat back there and he just stared at this body in the bag and felt horrible. He, he wanted to... He wanted to make a difference for, for everyone, everyone he could come in contact with, not just this dead guy. So he, he continued down that thought process. The other two medics, they went out and got all the paperwork filled out. They, um, as they were done finishing the paperwork, a police officer showed up. They traded some paperwork with a police officer. Um, the, the officer cleared them to go ahead and take the body to the medical examiner. They went from there to get in the ambulance and drive away from the scene. As they're driving away from the scene, I could feel this, this turmoil, this burning inside the rookie. 
he really wanted to do something for this dead guy. He wanted to try something. And he could feel this battle going on in his own head. Like, if you do this, you could get fired. You don't want to do it. But at the same time, you if you have a chance to make a difference, you should do it for this guy. And he was going through this mental debate. And about a block away from the scene, all of a sudden, this glow started to form. And it was around where your heart would be. And it, it looked like a light. You know, to my perception, it looked like a real light. Uh, the only way I can explain this is, you know, our eyes, our, our human eyeballs, they only see a small percentage of the real light that's out there. And I felt like this, this light was coming from this guy, this rookie. It started to glow around his heart space. And as it got brighter and brighter, I heard very loudly a voice say, this one's not dead. And to me, it was such a loud voice. I looked around to see where that came from. It felt like it came from behind me, but behind me, I couldn't see anything. I could only see like dark fog or, or blackness. But in front of me, I could still see this whole scene unfolding. And I'm going with the ambulance. I'm seeing on top of the ambulance into it as it's moving down the street. And I see this glow now. It gets brighter and brighter and brighter to the point where this, this medic, he was glowing from his waist till above his head. It was very, very bright. And for a second time, this voice, it said even sterner and louder. It said, this one's not dead. And at that point, this medic, he felt like that was enough for him. He felt like I got to try something. So he, he had to undo some straps on the body because the body had been strapped down to the gurney inside of the body bag. So he had to undo these straps. He unzipped the body bag and he got it zipped down to about the chest area and he was feeling around the, the neck. He was trying to feel for any kind of pulse. He didn't feel anything. In fact, he felt um, uh, just coldness and almost a hardness starting to set up in the muscles. Um, but still, he felt driven. He went ahead and he undid um, more straps on the body so that he could get down to the femur area, to the leg area. And on the thigh, there's a big artery there. He was feeling for that artery. And as he was feeling for it, he made contact with my femur bone. And when he made contact with that bone, there was like this spark. And it was just a quick, just very quick ignition of energy. And I felt it where I was. I, I, I in fact, like jumped like, whoa, what was that? And still to me, I'm third party to all this. I'm witnessing this like a viewer. I had no idea that I was interacting with what was going on here. But I did jump because I felt that spark. I knew he did too, because as soon as he felt that, he, he leaped into action. To him, that was enough of a sign that he needed to try something. So he began to feed oxygen into the lungs. He, he opened up the, the, uh, the shirt. It had already been opened up a little bit by the other medics. He, he opened it even further. He hooked up this defib machine. It's one of those electrical machines to shock the heart. And when he hooked that machine up, it, it sends this alarm, this loud beeping alarm. And when the loud beeping alarm happened, the, the veteran medics both looked back to see what was going on. And when they saw him doing this, they just started to lay into him. They were cussing at him. They said, you're going to get fired. You can't do this. 
This is your first week on the job. You're already going to break protocol. You can't do this. And he, he acted like he didn't even hear them. He kept going. He went ahead and he let the first charge go and nothing happened. He went ahead and recharged the defib machine for a second time. And on the second time, he got a single heartbeat. And, and with that single heartbeat, both the veteran medics completely clammed up and they stopped talking. They just wanted to see with kind of apprehension what would happen on the third round. So he, he did allow the third round of shocks. And with that third round of shock, um, the heart started to beat on it, you know, with the assistance of the defib, it started, it, it reanimated or reignited, whatever it is. Or there, there's some doctors that said it was still beating, but it was so slow that you couldn't read it. But uh, to me, if the body was so cold that it was, it was described as cold to the touch, I, I feel I was dead. But they did get the heartbeat going. And to me, one of the miracles of miracles is that when this heart started, they were less than a half block from a hospital. They weren't going to the hospital. They were going to the medical examiner's office to turn in this body. But this body was, had, had come back alive with the assistance of this rookie medic. And so they were able to take it directly into the hospital. And that hospital, they, they did radio ahead. They had a, a few moments notice. They were able to get uh, a team together and have another team meet the body in the ER, in the ICU, uh, or in the ER. And they were able to essentially triage and, and do all the things that they need to do to a body in this condition, in this state. And still, at this point, I had no idea that everything I had been watching was me. Not until they, they took the body off of the, the medical gurney and they put it on the hospital bed. When they did this, the body started to go into all sorts of seizures. It was, it was flailing. It was vomiting. Um, it had a lot of, of problems going on. So the, the medical staff at the hospital, they knew they had to strap the body down. They started out with the legs. They strapped both legs down. Then they strapped the right arm, and then they went to go strap the left arm. I felt myself, me, sitting up here watching, I felt myself resist that strap being put on the body. And, and I actually felt myself break that strap. I literally broke it. And then they came back with a bigger strap and used a bigger strap, like a leg strap for, for that left arm. And that's when I realized, that's when I had this, this aha moment that everything that I've been watching was my own death. And I had no idea, no idea whatsoever. I, I didn't understand how that could be me because me was up here. The only thing I can equate it to here on earth is as if you're driving down the street, you look over and you see a car that looks just like your car. And you see a guy driving that car that looks just like you. But there's no way it's you because you're in this car. That's what it felt like. It felt like that wasn't possible to be me. But now I, I, was, I was watching the impossible. I was watching something outside of me, but it was also me. So I, I allowed this fear to come into me. I felt so dumb. I felt like, how could you be such an idiot? You were watching your own death this whole time. You had no idea. And, and I started to, to let this fear clamp 
onto me and come around me to a point where I felt like it was going to snuff me out. And, and I started to see all the bad things I ever did in my life from the youngest age, anything, you know, naughty or bad that I ever did in my life. I started to see that happen in front of me very fast. And I started to see it from the eyes of the people around me as well as from my own eyes. And so I got to see it multidimensionally from both directions, anything bad I ever did. And then as that, I got to the end of that spool, that, that timeline up until I was 25 years old, I had the thought, why am I even alive? Why do I exist if that is all I am? And that's when this tremendous warmth, it came from behind me and it warmed me from my back over my shoulder space or, or what would be your shoulder space. And it started to warm my heart. And as it did, I started seeing all the good I ever did. And I did a lot of good. I wasn't, I was, I was no saint, but I did a, a heck of a lot of good. And I got to see the good that I did from, from my perspective and the perspective of those people around me. I got to see that I, I had impact on people when I didn't even know I had impact. I, I had positive impact all the time with people. And I, I started to truly believe that there was a reason for me to be there, to exist, to be existing, and to be a, a being. And as I felt that feeling that there was a reason, I could recognize that this tremendous love I was feeling, it was coming directly from behind me. So I turned around and I look. And at first, I just kind of glance and I see a, a, a gentleman back there. So I turn my countenance. I turn who I was around. And I see this gentleman. He's all dressed in white. He's got a long white beard, um, long hair, long white hair, and just beautifully pink skin. And it's weird because <laughs> most time in life, you don't think of like skin being pink and beautiful. But this was... It was beautifully pink skin. This skin, it glistened because light was coming from this man. And as I'm, I'm looking at all this, I, the first thought I had was, oh, you're God. That was the first thing I thought. And he smiled. And without using his mouth, he, he replied to me. And he said, no, son, I'm not God. And my follow-up thought was, well, are you Christ? Are you Jesus Christ? You know, I was raised Christian. I, I, I believe so much of that connection with Father and Christ and, and, and with God and Christ. And I thought, well, if you, you're either one or the other or both, you know, I didn't quite understand that. I asked, I was like, well, are you Jesus Christ? And he smiled and he just sent me so much love. And he said, no, son, I'm not Christ. And I love that, that you have so much energy and excitement for that. He said, I'm your guide. I'm here. My name is Drake. You can call me Drake. And I'm here to guide you wherever you want to go. I can guide you forward into what's next for you. I can guide you back to your body if you want. And when he pointed, he, he kind of gestured back to my body. And when he did, I looked back at my body and no joke, there was an orderly sitting on the waist and like trying to hold down the body while he was doing something. I couldn't see what he was doing. But to me, it looked like hell. To me, that looked like hell. 
And I told him, I, told, I was like, I don't want that. I want to go to wherever this love is coming from, this, this tremendous love that's coming off of you. I, I've never felt something like that. I want that. I want more of that. Can you, can you help me go wherever that comes from? And he explained that that comes from my home. And he explained it was his home as well. And we could go to both of our home where we both originally came from. Uh, so we began this journey and this journey, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> it was life-changing. This journey, he explained to me, he said, Vinny, this journey that we're on, that you've embarked on, it's not a regular journey. It's not going just from one distance place to another. That for us to get where we're going, I had to raise my energy and the way he explained it to me is he explained it as if uh, love was a frequency and I needed to raise my love frequency so that I could get close to what the heaven love frequency is. And as I got closer and closer to that love energy, I would synchronize to that energy and be able to enter that space. But if I wasn't able to raise that love energy, I couldn't go there. Um, but what he was going to do is he was going to help me. He was going to guide me all along the way to raise that energy sequence by sequence by sequence. And so we, we began this journey. And I, I told him he didn't need to worry. I was raised Christian. I was saved. I was baptized. I, I had taken Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so I felt like because of that, there must be a special back door for me. I, I felt like, oh, you know, I get the Christian VIP entrance. You can just take me right there. I, I almost felt like it was a, an escalator or some type of special access that I got because I had that. And, and Vinny, Drake at smiled that point, at me. Sorry, Vinny, at that point, did you think you were dead or, or were you dead? Oh, I knew I was dead. Okay. I knew I was so dead. So you think this is just heaven. This is what happens when you die. You meet, you meet a yes. guy named Drake. Okay. Okay. Yeah, for, for me... It was, it was this guy, Drake. At the time, I didn't know who he was. Later, I found out who he was. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I began, I began that journey. He took me on this journey where I, I started going towards the heavenly space. And, and he taught me these different steps to get my energy level up to a high enough love energy to actually get to the heaven space. Um, one of the, the most important steps that he showed me is I had to understand what authenticity really was. And I had to, to know who I truly was. Not who I thought I was. Not who I would make myself out to look or to be around my friends, around my coworkers, but to be authentically me. And that was, the, that was a big one for me. I thought I was authentic. He helped me understand and see that, that I was authentic in ways, but in many ways I was putting up masks. Everywhere I went, I put up masks. And he helped me see that in this life, when you're, when you're very young and you're very old, you, you tend to be really authentic. Uh, but in between there, like the most of us, we, we have a hard time being authentic. So he showed me that that was the, the foremost, most important thing for me to learn. And then he went ahead and he, he helped me along the way. There was a lot more that he taught me. Um, but we could speak for hours just on what he taught me along the way. Um, but I got to a point where I saw this space, this beautiful space, 
it, at first it looked like a white sun. Uh, the way that our sun looks, it looks, it looks fairly white or light, um, but it, it, it tints towards the golden side of the light. This space, it looked like a perfectly white sun. And as I was, a, it was like perfect white light. As we approached and got closer and closer, I realized that the sun itself was a planet and that it had mountains and trees and, and lakes and oceans and, and uh, just all sorts of expansive spaces. It was far bigger than anything in our, in our side of the universe. It's, uh, I feel like our sun itself could fit multiple times across the inside of this place. It's that big. It's very, very big. And as we got closer to it, I, I was able to touch down in this space. I was able to feel my, my feet actually touch the grass as we came down. And I, I felt that when I first touched that grass, I felt as if I was finally home. I felt that this was where I had always come from. And, and this is where I was always supposed to be, was here. And as this grass like almost reached up to meet me as I came down and my toes went into the grass, I could feel that every single blade of grass had a, a very distinct loving consciousness, a very loving energy in it. And that the, the amount of shades of green, there's, there's millions and millions of shades of green that we don't have here. And, and there were so many different shades of green coming just from this, this grass. And that as I, I touched it, I could actually taste it. I could taste like this sweet aroma. And then I could actually smell almost this very light lemony smell that was sweet. But it was also like grass too, of course. But, it, but all of this is just from touching it. And I could hear this... Uh, it felt like a little symphony or a, a, a very beautiful harmony coming off of the grass. And I could, I could definitely sense that in this heaven space, there's all these other senses we don't have here. And I was experiencing this grass through all these other senses. And I could feel that this grass really loved me, like loved me more than I had ever been loved in my life. And just plugging into that, it was extremely healing. I, you know, I was raised in a pretty rough home. Um, I had a, a great mom, and my my dad uh, and I didn't see eye to eye. And I was, I had a rough go of it with him for mo for a lot of my life. And that rough go that I had had put a lot of cracks and 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 a lot of chips and a lot of breaks in my soul really like all over my soul and just plugging into this grass i could begin to feel this healing this feeling in the cracks type energy and it was all unconditional love all of it i could feel there was nothing i could do in my life that that i would deserve this much love and that this love was just just openly granted to all all of us that go there I could feel that, the, again, there was nothing I could do to earn that love. It was far greater than anything I could earn. And this is just by as touching the grass, stepping on the just grass. Just the grass. Just the grass. It was just the grass, yeah. Sheesh. And, and, as, and, and Drake, at that point, Drake. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. 
he was laughing. He he was like kind of enjoying me, enjoying this. And he he explained. He's like, if you think the grass is good, you should check out the flowers. <laughs> and I, I was like freaking out. There's flowers. And and he, and he, instantly he took my consciousness from the grass that I was experiencing, and then instantly I was on a flower, and it was almost like the size, or I was like the size of a bee, and I was experiencing this flower, and it was so many more things about the flower that were even greater than the grass, and I could feel more healing coming from me, and then Drake showed me the trees, and I, the trees are are so majestic there they're so wise full of wisdom it felt like they were they were travelers these trees they felt like they existed in so many other worlds but who they really were were these trees existing in heaven but somehow and again I, it was my human brain i can't figure it out these trees were copies of these trees were existing all over the universe and i could feel just this divine knowledge and this divine intelligence behind these trees and then uh, drake introduced me to the water and the water actually approached me and it came to my feet and it asked me do you want us on you and i said yes i do want you on me and the water then started from my feet first and it went up and over me and it just slowly bubbled up over me and it went up and over both arms. It, you know, it came up to my shoulder, went down to the end of each arm, and it went up, up, up above my head. But I wasn't worried about breathing. There was no need to breathe. I was energy, and energy doesn't need to breathe, at least in that form I didn't need to. And so I wasn't worried about breathing, but at the same time, there was no choking. All I could feel was healing. And I could feel all of the finishing touches that I needed as far as my healing. It happened with this water. The water just went in and completed my healing. And I could feel it connect and, and totally encompass the top of me. And then as soon as it had gotten over every bit of who I was, then it started to slowly recede and come off of me. And the water was so amazing because you felt wet and cool, but also warm. It was to give you all these senses, but then as it came off of you, I was dry. So it gave you all these senses. It purified me, it cleaned me, and, and it really gave me a whole new understanding of what baptism could be. And I feel that many times when we see a form of baptism on earth, that that's what we're emulating, is we're emulating this healing bathing of energy coming over us that this water did for me. And when that water went down, that water started on me and I was one person. And when it came off of me, I was a completely different person, a completely different being. All of a sudden, I, I didn't have any anger towards anyone who had ever abused me or beaten me or brutalized me or done anything to me. I had no anger towards them. I had just unconditional love towards everyone, including predators of my past, including arbitrators of my damage. I've, I felt just so much unconditional love towards all of them. And I felt like I had a better understanding why everyone was the way they were here on earth. And it was because we all forgot that we came from this space. 
we all forgot our own divinity. We forgot that we are these great creations that were meant for so much more than what we allow ourselves here on earth. And as I was experiencing all of this, then I noticed a building. And, you know, I had done construction most of my life up to that point. Almost 20 years I'd done construction by then. And I saw this building. It was a, a masterwork. It was an all-white marble building. And the entire building was one piece of marble. The entire building. The marble itself, it had light flowing it through it slowly. The light was flowing and like moving inside the marble as if it was breathing, as if it was alive. And uh, the people that were in this building, they would go to a specific room. To me, it felt like a university, somewhere that someone would go to learn, like the mysteries of the universe. And they would, they would approach a room that they would want to go learn something. And they would have to match the love energy or the energy of that room. And out of nowhere, an opening would just form. They would go in and then the opening would seal itself very liquid-like, but at the same time, alive. Like the whole building was alive with a, with a pristine consciousness of energy. And as I'm noticing this, I'm, I'm starting to want to go into the building. I wanted to go see what these people were seeing and learn what they were learning. And that's when Drake, he put his arms around me. He pulled me in. And he gave me a hug. And the hug he gave me, it's very different than the hugs we get here. Because here we're in a physical body. And when we hug, we bring our two halves together. And, and we're prevented from being truly one. But with that, he gave me this hug. We, our two energy bodies became one. And as we became one energy, one force, it felt like a pulsar or an, an energy boom, like burst off of us. And I felt the, the, the pristine power of loving and caring for each other. I learned how important that is just from that one hug. And that hug itself, if, if all of us could even witness one of these hugs, we wouldn't even have to have it done to us. If we could just witness this, we would never do anything bad again in our lives. We would try to love and support each other forever. There's so much power in just a simple hug there in heaven. And he, he, he put his arms around me. He gave me this hug. As he was giving me this hug, he whispered in my ear. He said, he said Vinny, this is going to be very hard, but it's going to be worth it. And as soon as he said that, I started to hear the words of my brother on earth. He was here on earth, you know, fast forward, my body was brain dead for three days. This is the third night I was in the hospital. My brother was saying a prayer over my body. And he was saying this prayer, blessing my body that would be made whole, that I would come back to my body. He was very uh, afraid of the devastation that my mom would have felt if she lost her son at such a young age. And, and he really wanted to preserve her from that. He also loved me. And between those two aspects of his, his prayer, I felt that I was forced back into my body. I felt that somehow my agency, at least what I perceived as agency, was removed from me and I was forced back into my body. 
my brother had said this prayer over my body around 10 p.m. And I woke up at 1.11 in the morning, uh, the following morning. To me, it felt instantaneous. From the time that he closed that prayer with an amen, I felt like I woke up in my body, just like that. And as soon as I woke up, I looked around, and I didn't understand, but I was looking for him. He wasn't there. And then I realized that I was extremely claustrophobic. I didn't know why I was so claustrophobic. Later, I, I understood that our soul is far bigger than our human bodies here. And for the soul to come back into the body, it feels like you're squishing uh, a school bus into a soda can. It just it feels like you're squishing so much into such a small space. And that's what I felt. I felt that instantaneously as soon as I woke up. I pulled everything off of me. And, and you know, you, you can see online, there's pictures of me on life support. I pulled everything off of me, everything. And after I pulled everything off of me, I, I unplugged the machines. There was a few machines plugged in. Um, a couple of them you, you weren't able to unplug, and I still just yanked on them until they came out of the wall. I didn't want any noise. I didn't want anything touching me. I, I just stood there. I didn't even allow the hospital gown to be on me. I ripped it off. And I just stood there, just panting and breathing for a few moments. And then I, I realized that I was naked. And I went rifling around the cupboards. I found two gowns. I wrapped them around my middle section. And then I walked out of my room. I was ready to go home. I wanted to go home right then, right then. I didn't want to wait a moment. I wanted to go home right then. I was done. This was, this was too much for me. I needed to go home. And um, I was at the elevator pushing the down button. And I was waiting for this elevator to come when I heard the screams of nurses. And they had gone in my room and saw that there was no one there. They were assuming that someone came in and stole this body that was in a coma, only to find out that I was standing out by the elevator. And they screamed again when they saw me. And um, I knew in a weird way, I knew that they would get in a lot of trouble if I left. And, and probably security would probably meet me down at the, in, in the bottom floor if I left too. But, um, so I went back to them. They made me sit back in the bed. I still wouldn't put too much on me. Uh, the only thing I would allow them is this one little cuff. I would allow them to put it on my finger. Uh, I think just for my oxygen or for my heart, one of the two. But that's the only thing I would allow uh, they kept trying to put more IVs in me, stick some things on my head, test me. I wouldn't let them, not, not in the beginning, but I told them I wanted to go home. They called some doctors over and the doctors told me that there was no way I was going home. I had to do a battery of tests before I would be allowed to go home. And I said, fine, let's start the tests right now. So we did. We started all the tests, a whole list of tests that I had to do before they let me go. Uh, I, I was able to get released at 7.30 in the morning, that very morning. So for about six hours and change, I, I had to do tests. I, I passed all those tests. I did have to sign about a, a, a little phone book worth of paperwork for me to be able to check myself out um, on my own reconnaissance. They did make me get a ride. They you know, obviously wouldn't let me drive. I didn't even have a car there anyway because I took the ambulance there. But my dad came and he picked me up. And that's where my story takes a different turn. 
my experience made me yearn for heaven. I wanted heaven so bad. That's all I could think about. It was the first thing I thought of when I woke up. It's what I dreamt about when I was sleeping. It's, it's everything that I thought of. I started to look into the most dangerous jobs to see if I could get one of those jobs Wow! so that there would be a, a good chance that I have a, you know, a convenient accident and I get to go back. <laughs> I knew, I knew I couldn't do it myself. I knew that if I, if I committed suicide, that somehow I would still survive, but I would, <laughs> I would be cursed to have like all this trauma on my body and still survive. So I knew I needed to go back in the right way. So I was looking into these dangerous jobs. In fact, I had signed up. Um, there was a crab fishing program that you could go and test. You'd pay money and you would test with this boat in Seattle. And if you pass that test, then you'd go up and test in Alaska. Then if you pass that, you could actually be a crewman on one of these uh, king crab fishing boats. So I, I began the paperwork and, and the work to do that. Uh, signed up. I paid, paid some of the initial money. And, and I started looking forward to this date that I was going to go pass my test and, and make my way up to Alaska so that I could go back to heaven. And um, it was just after that, I, I called an old friend and I wanted to say sorry to her because I, I had been a different guy before my experience. And one of the things I, I told myself I was going to do is I was going to respect and love all the good people around me. That was my new way is I needed to respect and love all people, but especially the good people around me who were always loving me, and I wasn't necessarily reciprocating that love. And this one gal, I, her, her name kept popping in my head. So I reached out to her. I said, hey, I know that, that uh, I've ditched you a few times, but let's get together. Let's go hang out. Let's go, let's go do something. And the day that I called her, she said, well, that's funny. I'm going bowling with a bunch of friends tonight. Why don't you meet me at my house and we'll go bowling? So that's what I did. I went to her house and I knocked on her door. Nobody would open the door. I knocked on the door again. Nobody opened the door. Third time I knock on the door and I'm like pounding on the door because I can hear a bunch of people in the house. And all of a sudden that door swings open while I'm knocking. And this woman is standing there. And it was, it was this like heart stopping moment. All of a sudden, like in her eyes, I could see like the light of heaven coming at me from her eyes. And it was the first moment that I had any hope that there was anything better in this life. And I met this, I call her my earth angel. Uh, her name's Andrea. And blessedly, we got married. And a month before we got married, we met in April, we got married in August. Um, we knew we were going to get married even before we went on a date. I, I was being encouraged by her to do new things, things that I traditionally wasn't doing. And one of those things was to honor my family in whatever way I could. And one of those ways was to go to a family reunion. And there was this family reunion in this little town of Wyoming called Afton, Wyoming. We went there. We saw this high school presentation on the history of the town. And we're watching this presentation. They're talking about all the founders of this little town, um, the first leaders of government of the state, and, and how uh, different pioneers and different 
farmers came into this territory. And as they're doing that, they have this big slideshow on a, on a big picture screen. And they're showing all these different founders. And up comes a picture. And at this point, I had described my guide so much to my, to my future wife. I had described it so much that she felt that she knew what he looked like. And, you know, I wasn't really paying attention. She saw this picture come up on the screen and she said, that's him. That's your guide. And I, I was like turning around. I turned around I'm like, that's not my guide. And as I said it, as that, those words came out of my mouth, I froze. Because right in front of me, I was looking at a picture of Drake. Like old black and white. But here's the weird thing. It didn't say his name was Drake. It said his name was Charles. And I'm like, I was thinking, God, why would you do this to me? The, the one little tendril to help me feel some sanity that what I went through was true. And you're giving it to me, but you're giving it to me with the wrong name. And I recognized the last name. It was my grandmother's maiden name. We went straight from there to my grandmother's house. I walk in her house and I go, Grandma, tell me about Charles Kazare. Who is this guy? And her exact response was, you mean great-grandpa Drake? I can tell you all about him. And to me, that was it. Now, I went from this guy that had this crazy experience that possibly was delusional to now I knew for a fact that everything that happened to me was actually real. And here was this guy, the coolest thing. Everybody officially knew him as Charles, but only his friends and family knew him by his nickname, which was his middle name. And that was Drake. And not even in official paperwork did it say his name was Drake. It just said Charles. So to me, that was just like second witness for me. Now I've had third, fourth, fifth, and thousands of witnesses since for myself to help me understand that this was a real thing and that it did happen to me for a reason. And I, I did go ahead and cancel my, my fishing trip. <laughs> I didn't uh, go try out with the, the fishing boat. I went ahead and started living my life in a new way with, with this earth angel, Andrea. We got married that August, one month later. And, and now, you know, 21 years later, we have two amazing kids. And my life is, is helping people. That's what I feel my life is. My mission is to help people. I, I tell my story not to say that this is your story or anyone else's story. But I tell it to help people realize that our existence is much bigger than we could ever understand. You know, we lived eternally before we got here. We live eternally after we leave here. So there's a lot more to our story, each, each and every one of us, than we could know. And it's important that we know there is a lot more to the story. And to not lose hope, no matter what's going on. Because um, there is a divine masterwork inside that body, and that's our soul. Our soul is that divine masterwork. But that is uh, my experience. There's a lot more that we could talk for hours and hours about of experiences since, but that's my experience. I, I've got uh, a lot of questions. Awesome. So that ends part one of this episode. Part two of this episode with Vinny is going to be questions. I, I allowed him to talk for 50 minutes 
because first he's a very good storyteller and I think you can visualize what he was going through. He was describing the entire thing very well. And I you know, I it's one of those things where you just you let him go because to me it wasn't boring. I mean, I was I was in it the whole time. It's powerful and it tells me and gives me the confidence that we all know where we're going. And at the end of the day, you got to make sure you treat people right and you do the right thing because good things will happen to you. But it also gives me the stamp of approval to make sure we do big things in life because we're only here for a certain amount of time. Might as well do it right and do life right. And that fired me up. I was fired up about life prior, but this fired me up even more because of that. Again, I was always after somebody who had this experience because it gives me chills thinking about it. And as much as people love to live, they get to, you know, heaven and They'd rather be there over anything. So it's, man, it's fascinating stuff. So part one, I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with a friend or two if you did. Also, small favor, Spotify ratings. If you could just go on Spotify, Miked Up Pod, and just hit five stars really quick. It'll take you literally 15 seconds. I'd appreciate it. There's a lot of hard work in this thing, and it helps us in terms of ranking so others can find my podcast. The question episode will come out next Thursday, a week from today. Thank you for making me a part of your day. This was Miked Up Pod. I am Mike Gabriel. Until next time, folks, no wasted days. Let's go.